in charge and the leader and a star. He's oh. never picked something in which he's been the action guy. And Right. He oh. just hit LeGrand, who now admits. Jenny came over to patch things up like she always does. She asked to use the bathroom, and when he went in there, she was dead from heroin. So LeGrand, being the stand-up gentleman he is, threw her into a ditch. Oh. You know, I don't think I remember this part. I don't think I read this part. So later he feels guilty, goes back, and she was gone from the ditch. Oh, yeah. Well, Listen you know, if you want. He's admitting. No, I think you, you, you summed it up fine. <laughs> you, you have to put down, like, comp recycling uh, group. You have to write down put a little sign on the body that says, not free, don't take, not cool. <laughs> yeah, do not take. Do not take. No, no basura. No basura. No take. Uh, gratis. No gratis. Oh, I can't see anything in the screen. I like the soundtrack. Now he gets a postcard from the agent, and it says, Here I am in England. My parents are happy to see me again. And then she goes, I should have put my arms around you. Polishing dialogue for an Anglo-French production. But he's he's saying this on voiceovers, so it's it's really him saying it. Yeah. From somewhere in England. Well, good for her. Here we go. Oh, no, I take it back. It's her Triple speaking. my arms around you. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I like don't mind movie. that in the I film. Like I think movie. it's actually one of the only professional things they did. This movie's pretty cool, Carl. I mean, there's some really, like, scenes like that and just kind of, there's pockets of it, just the way people look and the, the theme of it. I mean, it's, uh... Mm -hmm. And it is kind of upsetting with the... With, uh, the sexuality but, and they had lots of stars and they had a budget it just makes me upset that it starts to not make sense like this scene too this is a B character but we need our B characters in the beginning of act two here we are at the end of the film definitely act three right you know we know now where Jenny she we know she's dead the film should have ended He's now starting a little mini film. He meets the nurse who takes care of him in the hospital. Oh, you mentioned her. Wow. But that's so like Paris, though. Like you always meet your nurse at restaurants. <coughs> and they share right. a smoke together. <laughs> so nurse. You always see, you see two things. In, in Paris, you, you bump into the nurses that have attended to you. Yeah. And you bump into can-can girls. Oh, a lot of can-can. Yeah, always at the can-can. <laughs> So, Your can's so fine, girl. They named you twat. That I let you follow. Okay, now I want to say it again. The movie should have ended, yeah. but it hasn't. What he's doing now is he wants to find the actual body. So he's asking a nurse who's conveniently flexed, uh, fell in his lap and has a crush on him. Where do they take the dead, the Jane Doe's? Yes, that's right. I know where this film is going. You don't think that's cool? He's got to know. Uh, no. He's got to know. Uh, I guess. It's just twisted. But, I mean, it could be uh, cool if there were, like, intelligent plot points wrapped around it. it. There is intelligent plot points. Why did this happen? He fell in love with her. Right. And he... But the thing is, why should she die? You know what I mean? Like... This is a movie about him and her, right? Right. So he should be involved in the death, or he should try to prevent it. It doesn't make sense that you're, she's ramping up to this big, big relationship, and now she's like, I'm leaving, I'm going, and I'm sorry I was such a jerk. And then it's like, 
oh, by the way, you know, like, you know, he gets a phone call. Oh, she's dead. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like he's away from the action. And well, I think at it's the just... beginning of a film, you learn a lover's die and begin a mystery. It, it doesn't make sense. He needs closure. He has to see her. <laughs> yeah, we should have yeah. five minutes of closure, not... Look, he has to make sure that he has to see her for seven. He's got to make sure he's he's out. Okay, for some reason the nurse does know where they put the Jane Doe's, so he's going to a friend from the hospital who's at some bar, right? And saying, you know, hey, why don't we continue the party? Let's get out of this dump. And he goes like, what do you have in mind? She goes, take us to the morgue. Show us the Jane Doe's. Now they're doing this all in French, right? Yeah, let's see. Yeah, with all the friends. Stupid. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, man. Well, because when I saw, I saw this with Spanish subtitles, they, they had subtitles for everybody. So the French was translated. Oh, so you could hear the conversation. You could hear we, the conversation. We missed out on that. Oh, but that, oh is that in English? Like at this point in the movie, during the film, we we just see Jeff Goldblum waiting at the bar, like, oh, please say yes. I hope they say yes. Please say yes. <laughs> and they're far away, having their conversation. Well, he he was okay. at the bar, like, don't go near the piano. Don't go near the piano. I know this is a <laughs> piano right. bar. Just don't go near That's it. Right. You're on oh, the set. I wanted to go to the piano, but Frazier was hogging it. <laughs> Frazier. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I just want to say some complaints, okay? Yes, please. Uh, there's something called the Goya Awards, and it's like Spain's version of the Oscars. But the thing is, yeah. if you have released two films this year, who's going to win? You know what I mean? It's like Tony Awards. Like, everybody won a Tony Award because there's only eight films, uh, plays, you know what I mean? So this won a Goya? Uh, it, well, it won two, three, four, five, six Goyas. Like, it was a good film. It won Best Film. Oh, I, I agree. I absolutely. So this is the part where now listen, these characters are empty vessels, right? They're spiritually empty. Why do you keep saying that? Because like he's not empty. He has a father, but he doesn't grow up. He never, you know, he's he's that fear of hand character. But that doesn't make a person empty. An empty vessel is somebody who's gone through some. They have some post-traumatic stress. Uh, somebody who's gone through the Holocaust. Somebody who's gone through a war. A hollow oh. shell of a man is a guy who. All right. Is so messed up he can't function and he just does what everybody says because he's he's lost his soul that's an empty shell that oh man shell. i thank you i appreciate that i gotta change my usernames holy shit i've been <laughs> using it all wrong uh yeah I'm sorry to be smug no be sorry. but i feel like she's in a vessel or she might be so this is like this movie goes really dark I mean now they're at a morgue looking at the, the, the characters and it's a party it's for fun you see they're kissing well, they all went from the bar. I'm looking for yeah. a morgue. Oh, I know the Morgue Express. It's right next to the, the Sex and City isn't tour. Cool with it. See? She's cool with it. No, she's not. And Jeff Goldblum isn't cool with it either. Look how freaked out he is. He's there at that for medical. Didn't Jeff Goldblum do an NBC drama show, like a, a CSI type show, where he was like a yeah, he did. Work? He did a years. He did one season. Um, I have that written down here somewhere. That's kind of scary. I've seen an episode I mean, of it. It was bad. Like, when you're going to talk about, uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum, you're going to talk about the Independence Days. You're going to talk about the Jurassic Parks. You're not going to, you know, so I got his bio, but I 
I mean, he's in I a lot of movies, like, which is always a delight. He, does, he will do comedies and he will do television, but when he shows up, he always adds a yep. dimension to it. And he does that commercial for the apartments. Yeah, he does a lot. Well, his voice is on like a lot. I mean, what's, he's famous for being the Apple voice spokesman. Uh huh. I think. I mean, I remember the, he was like, Are you in a sea of pirates? That's, okay, here he is. It's um, the eighth and ninth seasons of Law and Order, Criminal Intent, as Zach Nicholas. Yeah, it was not a, it was not a CTV. Right. Well, I saw on YouTube uh, a guy had taped on his cell phone the the boardroom, you know, the conference room they met in, and he's like, I think I think your show it, it it's mi- missing an a, a, a element of smug, and if you just. <laughs> Open to the smug. And they were like, hey, you know, Goldblum's right. I mean, nobody is smug on the... So there was a niche for him. Are they fishing for bodies right now? They're just yeah, in a vat? Yeah, right now they're in a vat of formaldehyde. It's like, okay, obviously my... Who I'm, you know... He never says he's looking for someone. He goes, no, oh, where's the real James so Doe? The ones who are unidentified. There's always one guy they throw him in like this. What? There's always one guy at these parties that that are just like, I'm just here for a body. Just here to see a body. Not here to have fun. They've got a hook, like a fish hook. Yeah, bringing up those bodies. What do you call that thing? I have it written down. Body hook. They use Swinkies as lure. Uh, This is a Lolita tale, heavy allusions to Peter Pan. Wait, is that her? IVE release. I've is got he, it somewhere. Is he seeing the dead body now? That looks like Legrand, see? Oh, it's it Legrand, is. the producer. Whoa. We just learned he's dead. And a Jane Doe. And a Jane Doe. Uh, John Doe. Wow, he popped out of nowhere. I don't remember that. Ah, scene. fishing gaff. That's what it's called. G A F F S. And the, it's the purpose is to fish around corpses in formaldehyde bats. I guess for fish. <laughs> now the nurse is like, "What's up with this Jeff Goldblum? He's all I know. freaked out." I saw him in the second act of this movie, and he hasn't even talked to me much. Now they're going down even deeper to the next vat. Oh, that's it's, it's in the basement's basement. Oh, the, the fifth level. That's cool. That's like a metaphor. Symbolism. Yep. Yeah. Of the planes of hell or no? Yeah, planes of hell. He's descended to the final ha- level the five. Concord, right? Hades. <laughs> that was the plane from hell. <laughs> the Concord was a plane from hell. <laughs> <laughs> it was so loud. Now, who does he see? Oh. Uh, Not sure, so flip her over. Uh oh. Oh, the, probably the music's going off. Do, do, do. Yeah. Because I know that badge anywhere. It's the same look he gives when he was looking at it. Oh, there she is. Yeah, and he's going to scream his head off. Oh, that was me after I found out the popcorn prices at this theater. Seven fifty. That's a good one, Mike. Saw the popcorn price. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a bummer. Let's leave this party. Listen, her father was a 1960s Grand Prix racing driver and winner. Really? And his, yeah, and his name was Johnny Walker. 
That guy sounds like he's fucking kick-ass. Yeah, that guy was kick-ass. So they listed his friends like they were all badasses, but you know it's so long ago. I don't know any of the names there. Don't you feel like? The, don't you feel like this is cathartic? Well, I think right now the director is having him cleanse himself. He's getting rained on. Oh. You see, it's like trying to wipe away. Right. But the film still doesn't make sense. Is that what he's doing? He's cleansing. Yeah, I mean, he uh, got the closure he needed at the expense of the state. Well, that was fun. You want to go to the movies too, say? Well, see, that's the thing. The nurse is saying, were you looking for her? He realizes he was looking for a woman. Uh, And I think that, like, she's lost her chance with him. And Jeff Goldblum says, were you looking for someone? And she doesn't say any answer. And I think the director's trying to say, yeah, for him, for love. Right. It doesn't make sense to the plot. He's a bad dad, bad lover. I guess. Yeah, bad man. He so now we're going to hear man. a voiceover in which Dan types, he basically types a novel about his experience. Yeah, which I wonder and if he, that's the, novel, the original novel storyline. I don't I'm know, and I, I just never, I didn't get that far as to read, I guess this story, this it up. is because this is the so he writes I buried Jenny and nobody showed up but then again she was a tough kid and she would have expected no less what what it doesn't make sense well because she was in formaldehyde and it's like twice the body weight <laughs> to get it out and you know like no U-Haul is going to let you put that in their van you know you're not going to really get, get a rental and then uh, okay. Mike let me just review this for you for one minute okay, okay. right Oh, wait, no, it's not really over. Now in French, we're learning, but we don't know French, that uh, somebody's in the car waiting for him outside. What time is it here? 6.45. I just want to complain at the end of the film. I don't know if we'll have enough time. We have five minutes. All right, let me just do it now. He had two or three sexual encounters, right, with this girl. It was all with Jenny's ulterior motives, and then he learns that. He knows it's all her ulterior motive, which leads up to this big chase scene. He discovers that the agent lied. They they knew each other. He separates with the agent. After that, she's simply gone, and he finds her and has a cathartic moment. And now we're about to see him hook up with the agent. This film doesn't make sense the second Jenny disappears. Yeah, or why she had to turn into that. Right. Like, there was, why did she have to die in this movie and then have her body right. literally dredged out of the of that? Now, if it's really about him growing up and seeing that the agent is the real person, right. then, then she should not have died. He should have split up with her. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how they would have written it, but... Well, they're two lost souls, and they found and they they knew each other, and they bounced around with each other. And this is a honesty. Like I, I think the agent knew how self-destructive the the, the brother and sister were, so he he didn't she didn't want to be accountable for it. Like she had a feeling what was going to happen. See, I I would align with you and think you're a hundred percent right. And you should have written and directed this film because that's not she knew no, that. in movie. London and this one of Goya, best sense. director. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. 
Well, they're still hanging out. This movie hasn't ended yet. Yeah, that's right. It ends with them. You know, now they're a couple. Oh, all right. That's and cool. And there's some last lines here. Um, let's see. It's on page 11 of my notes. Let me check my screenplay book. Oh, turn it up. We'll just hear it. Uh, I'm on the last page. I found it. All right. She reads Dan's new book. She cries. He carries her to the bedroom. They're close. He, he, he's the one who, like, detours in the bedroom, and I thought that was a pretty good scene, you know, like, he says what he wants. And then, before or after, he goes, you're not a witch. You're a siren, a muse from the sea. That's what he said. So, like, what's the point? He's grown up now. He's found his... Yeah, he, he respects... Uh, he understands where the agent's going, and that's the woman he respects and loves. And that's it. That's the okay. movie. Here's the credits. Wow, that was there pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of this movie? I think that just happened. I think I was with them until Jenny disappeared. Uh, all right. I like this movie. I like how it just keeps going on and on like that. You know? <laughs> It's a little a lot to like. Uh, so, hey, I don't have a trailer for next week's movie, but I have selected next week's movie, and it takes place okay. in San Francisco, and Great. it is the last full-length movie version of Charlie Chan, official Charlie Chan movie called Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Lady, and uh, it was 1981. Really? Yeah. It was from the director of The Nude Bomb. It was his follow-up the next year. <laughs> and it's it came out in 1981. I mean, I know Peter Sellers was doing a similar film back then, but... Uh, so it yeah. says, Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Lady, 1981. Yeah. And I don't have a trailer I'm for there. it. But that will be our movie next week. I want to thank you guys so much for making it to the end of another episode of L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's us on iTunes, YouTube, and Twitter. And we are on Facebook as Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube, which we do every week. And uh, follow our podcast. Follow us. And uh, keep supporting MutinyRadio.fm. They have some great shows that stream live. And maybe you're spending your Sunday streaming the show live. Uh, next up is a great uh, open mic comedy show, uh, live comedy happening at four to six so uh uh take a listen and uh just keep listening so that's it carl thank you so much thank you it's a great choice again and i'm looking forward to charlie chan charlie chan from 1981 i'll see you later <laughs> bye, bye. let's watch a full length movie on youtube Watch a full length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. It's been over one long year watching movies bad, strange, and weird. Hi, this is Carl. I, I, I'm Mike's friend. I, I 
German strudels. You should follow me on Twitter. It's Jokes to Carl. Uh, that's the French duh, not the <laughs> duh, duh. Now let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and...
Weekly review with Roman. Today it's Tuesday, October eighth. Yes, it's Tuesday. This will be played also on a Friday, October eleventh. Due to some scheduling conflicts and things that have come up, I am recording this a few days early, and it just so happens that it's, there's a big today's like the big day at the Supreme Court because uh, the introductions to the show also talked a little bit about that. You can also, if you follow me on Twitter, I have retweeted a lot. The most recent piece we played was a senior staff attorney, Gabriel Arkles uh, from ACLU. And if you follow at ACLU on Twitter, you can hear Gabriel's words and hear more from them. And then also the previous, there's lots of folks who came to the Supreme Court to protest and so that's what we heard before then. And this was shared by Jason L. Walker, who you can follow on Twitter at Lamar Walks 11. And there's a lot more footage out there. And also I'm going to get to an article right away. It's uh, it's things are pretty fucking scary. Things have been scary for a while. Oh, by the way, hi, it's a radio program. That's not very funny. Sometimes it is today. Probably not. I'm feeling exhausted in many ways. And I also think it's crucial just to share what's happening in the world. As sad as it may be, it's also interesting to go back and listen to previous episodes and hear how things have kind of led up to where we are now and to have an understanding of it. So this article was published today by Jessica Mason Piclo, and it came out on Rewire News. And going to get the microphone all ready here. And you can find this at rewire.news. Uh, after two hours of arguments, five votes could decide the future of LGBTQ rights. What a, what a timeline to be living in, everybody. The conservative wing of the Roberts court appears ready to take a sledgehammer to LGBTQ rights, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The U.S. Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell versus Hodges represented a significant but potentially fleeting shift in LGBTQ rights. Led by conservative justice Anthony Kennedy, Obergefell recognized the indignity LGBTQ people experience when the law treats them differently simply for who they are. Despite being a fundamentally conservative opinion grounded in traditional notions of partnership and family, Obergefell was revolutionary for its jurisprudential embrace of the humanity of LGBTQ people. The legal landscape looks very different for LGBTQ rights four years later. The Trump administration has taken a sledgehammer to the slow and steady progress made during the Obama administration of recognizing the promise of Obergefell and 
my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. I feel like I am. And recognizing LGBTQ rights. And on Tuesday, during oral arguments for the three cases that ask whether federal employment discrimination law protects LGBTQ employees, the conservative wing of the Roberts Court appeared ready to do the same, assuming they can keep Justice Neil Gorsuch on board. The first two cases on the Roberts Court's docket revolved around the question of whether prohibitions on discrimination on the basis of sex under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 include discrimination on the basis of a person's sexual orientation. The cases were combined under Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. In Bostock, the plaintiff alleges he was fired from his job as a child welfare services coordinator for a Georgia County's juvenile court system after his employer found out he's gay. In May 2018, a three-judge panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit ruled in an unpublished per curiam decision that Bostock couldn't sue his employer because the Title VII doesn't ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. Bostock wants the Supreme Court to reverse the 11th Circuit's decision, which his attorneys argue is wrong and in conflict with the majority of recent federal court decisions that do recognize sexual orientation discrimination under Title VII. The third case before the court seeks to answer whether Title VII applies to claim claims of discrimination based on gender identity and transgender status in RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, Inc., versus Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on behalf of Amy Stevens, a Michigan funeral director who was fired once she, once she began transitioning at work. The Roberts Court had previously avoided answering the question of whether discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is discrimination because of sex under Title VII, but during the arguments Tuesday showed no such reluctance. This despite the fact that the Roberts Court announced last week it was going to try something new this term. Counsel before the court now get to make their arguments uninterrupted for approximately two minutes before the justices jump in with their questions. That means that Stanford law professor and attorney Pamela Carlin, who argued on behalf of the employees in their cases, had the opportunity to clearly set forth why firing a man who dates a man is discrimination because of sex. It's a startling difference to hear the attorneys be able to frame their case before the court without immediate interruption. Whether it changes the outcome remains to be seen. But Carlin did her best to stay focused on the argument that sexual orientation discrimination is by its nature discrimination because of sex. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had the first question for Carlin and asked about the original public understanding of sex discrimination when Title VII first passed. What role, if any, should that original understanding play in how the justices resolve the dispute before them? Ginsing, uh, excuse me, Ginsburg pressed, none, Carlin answered. Just look at the words of the statute. Carlin insisted, when Title VII passed in 1964, it was the days of madmen, she said, where sexual harassment, now a commonly understood form of sex discrimination under Title VII, was not recognized. Ginsburg's question was pointed for a reason. The heart of the dispute of these cases is a textual dispute, a fight over the meaning of the text because of sex in the statute. Conservatives, including Solicitor General Noel Francisco, who argued in defense of the employer's in these cases, insist the text of the statute doesn't support finding that sexual orientation or gender identity claims are covered in part because of the original public understanding of the harm. 
Congress was trying to remedy when it first passed Title VII. That original public meeting of Title VII, Francisco and the other conservative attorneys representing the employers did, they employees said only prohibits employers from treating one sex better or worse than the other nothing more nothing less it's a deceptively simple argument that has dangerous consequences as federal courts recognized sexual orientation discrimination over the years they did so by building on the idea that sex stereotyping can be a form of sex discrimination covered under title 7 the court reaffirmed that principle in the 1998 case, Onicle versus Sundowner Offshore Services, authored by Justice Antonin Scalia. In Oncal, a male employee said he was forcibly subjected to sex-related humiliating actions by his male co-workers, including assault and rape threats, for not being macho enough. Oncal is a case study in same-sex harassment. In finding that Title VII covered instances of same-sex harassment, despite the text of Title VII being arguable, being arguable silent on the topic, Justice Scalia wrote, Statutory prohibitions often go beyond the principal evil to cover reasonably comparable evils, which is ultimately the provisions of our laws rather than the principal concerns of our legislators, legislators by which we are governed. In other words, according to Justice Scalia uh, in Uncal, Un Title VII demands courts go beyond the original public misunderstanding the public understanding of the law to cover these those reasonably comparable evils of sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination. According to Scalia and the majority in Oncal, it doesn't matter what the exact words of Title VII say or even what the lawmakers at the time thought they were covering. What matters is that the language of Title VII itself is expansive enough to contemplate social change. And Title VII does this by recognizing that firing an employee because of their failure to conform to stereotypical notions of sex, whether because of sexual orientation or gender identity, are by their definition sex discrimination. Congress doesn't need to speak now on that question. They did so in 1964 by passing Title VII. It is analytically impossible to fire an employee based on that employee's status as a transgender person without being motivated, at least in part, by the employee's sex. The Sixth Circuit states in Harris, discrimination because of sex inherently includes discrimination against employees because of a change in their sex. On Tuesday, Solicitor General Francisco took the opposite view and argued that the only way to make Title VII cover gender identity and sexual orientation discrimination is for Congress to amend the law to explicitly say that it does. That's an argument that Justices Samuel Alito and Chief Justice Roberts latched onto immediately. Roberts noted that the states that had passed their own version of Title VII had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation, discrimination, as well as, um, excuse me, had explicitly stated protections for sexual orientation discrimination, as well as exemptions in place for religious objectors. Justice Alito even took the end of Carlin's time not to let her answer a question, but to accuse the employees of trying to change the meaning of Title VII outright. If Justice Roberts is true to precedent, then next summer the court will rule that Title VII covers both sexual orientation and discrimination excuse me, that covers both sexual orientation discrimination and gender identity discrimination, and Roberts will join the majority in doing so. There is no other conclusion that remains both true to the text, to the statute, and the cases that followed. But Roberts is a conservative ideologue and not a scholar of precedent. He also laid the groundwork for reading sexual orientation and gender discrimination protections out of Title VII in 
Obersfell. Reading his dissent now from the bench, Roberts was clearly angry about the outcome of the case. He accused the majority of acting out of political motivation, not legal reasoning, and suggested that those celebrating the decision were doing so simply because their side had won. This court is not a legislature, Roberts wrote in his dissent in Obersfell. The majority's decision is an act of will, not legal judgment. Conservatives picked up Robert's mantra of the court, and I'm going to take a self-care moment, as I sometimes do uh, on the show. I'm going to stop from reading the rest of this article. Um, I appreciate the coverage of it. You also can check it out at Rewire News, uh, rewire.news. And um, yeah, that's a lot. It's it's a hell of a lot. And also doing this show midweek feels like a lot. So we will see what happens and perhaps by the time this is played again on friday we'll have some more news for you now oftentimes i start the show with a lot of music and then a rant and i'm feeling too exhausted i'm emotionally exhausted i'm physically exhausted i'm psychically exhausted i am just ugh. (sighs) so then why am i here well i'd rather be here than not here if that makes sense i'd rather share some news and always interested in learning more sharing more and perhaps all the listeners out there if there's one piece of information or hope or something that you gain from listening to this week's episode uh hopefully that this will have uh i'll have done my part wow i'm tired okay it is not even that late i'm gonna play some more music and i titially was gonna start playing the show with this music and then i had a peter gabriel song on i'm like oh that's a good song i'll just leave that on so next up i've been going through the record collection here at mutiny radio and records are great so i've been trying to play some of these on the air here's one it's a record from joan jett called the hit list and looks like that's some uh, cover songs so we're gonna play some joan jett hopefully i'll get in a better mood after i hear some really good music and then afterwards we've got some more news for everybody so please do stay tuned
and welcome back to the weekly review it's roman i'm still pretty tired uh, i'm a little bit more excited i guess because i listened to the first joan jet song now i'm kind of like eh. i'm tired and i'm here the show is very diy and i appreciate that sometimes it's good just to be true and I wanted to share a resource for folks, Trans Lifeline, which is a great resource. Uh, I want to encourage folks to donate to and also share info about if you know folks who need someone to talk to. It's a hotline that is was created by and is run by and operated by trans folks for trans folks. And we've had the founders on the show a couple years ago, Greta and Nina, and wanted to just plug that organization once more you can also follow them on twitter at trans lifeline and they tweeted today the supreme court is hearing a pivotal case on trans rights this morning we know that news like this negatively impacts the mental health of trans people okay that explains why i've been feeling extra crappy uh if you are trans or questioning and need to talk we're here for you at 877-565-8860 in the u.s or 877-330-6366 in Canada. So again, you can follow Trans Lifeline at Trans Lifeline. Please do donate um, to them if you're able and spread the word. Also follow them on Twitter. Um, I believe, it's a weird segue, but I'm going into the next thing. We do have the Pissed Off Voters Guide for November 5th from the San Francisco League of Pissed Off Voters. I agree with a lot of the information that they share. And I'm someone who, recognizing that voting can only do so much, and at the same time, it's easier to organize when you don't have fascists in office. Hopefully, all we can all agree on that. So they have a few voting logistics to share with people. And September, nope, not September, October. This is This is one show for the books, I'll tell you. So that was yesterday. Uh, Early voting started at City Hall, and it's happening from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you're someone who votes and you are unable to go on Election Day and or you don't want to mail something in, drop by City Hall. Uh, Be prepared to go through the metal detectors because that's just something that happens there. All right. And on October 21st, it's the deadline to register to vote if that's something that you want to do. October 26th and 27th and November 2nd and 3rd, it's the weekend early voting in City Hall from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. Oh, the weekend, right. And then November 2nd to the 5th, it's early voting, which starts at SFSU Towers Conference Center. And there's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekends, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekdays. On November 5th, it's election day. Polls open 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you're in line by 8, you can vote. Where's your polling place? Why am I yelling? I'm not meaning to yell. I'm Call 311-CSFelections.org or just go to City Hall. Where's... Okay, I already answered that question. Non-citizens can vote on Board of Education. Parents and caregivers of school-age children can vote for school board candidates. Former felons can vote. Even if you've committed a felony, you can vote as long as you're off parole. Don't let the man disenfranchise you. And again, this is from the Pissed Off Voter's Guide. Next up, slackers can vote. Election Day voter registration. Miss the 1021 deadline to register to vote? Head directly to City Hall. Do not pass go to register and vote right up through Election Day from November 2nd to 5th. You can also register and vote at SFSU Towers Conference Center. 
Now get out there and make us proud. Next up, youth can vote. If you're 16 or 17, pre-register and your registration will be activated automatically when you turn 18. Next up, local offices. For mayor, no endorsement. Board of Supervisors, District 5, Dean Preston. And again, plugging Dean Preston, I read an interview in the Bay Area Reporter, and he mentioned that he was all in favor of free muni. So that pretty much, he's definitely the more progressive candidate between him and uh, Valley Brown. So yes, Dean Preston for District 5. City Attorney, Dennis Herrera. District Attorney, Chesa Bowden. And we had Chesa on the show a couple weeks ago. We'll, we'll be replaying that interview a little bit closer to November 5th. So again, for District Attorney, vote for Chesa Bodin. Public Defender, Manahar Raju. Sheriff, no endorsement. Treasurer, no endorsement. Board of Education, no endorsement. Community College Board, Ivy Lee. Local propositions, they say yes on Prop A, which is a $600 million affordable housing bond. Yes on Prop B, representation for disabled and aging adults. Hell fucking no, Prop C. Uh, let Jewel write vape law for the children. So that was, yeah, no on Prop C. Yes on Prop D, teeny tiny traffic tax on Lyft and Uber. Yes on Prop E, finally, affordable housing for education and, excuse me, for educators and families. And yes, Prop F, sunlight on dark money. Okay. Open up. And a most, yeah, okay. Open up this guide for highlights on the most important things on the ballot and check out our online guide for the full Monty. And you can do that at http colon forward slash forward slash the league sf dot org. Now I'm starting to have some fun. I'm opening it up. There's a lot of stuff there and you can check it out. And also this has been paid for by the San Francisco League of Pissed Off Voters. Financial disclosures available at sfethics.org. Groovy. What's up next? Okay, so Ellen DeGeneres, who I was in high school when she came out, and it was like a big deal. And I remember writing her a letter being like, thanks for coming out. That's great for high school gay kids like me. And then cut to decades later, and I mean, beyond decades later, but you know, when sometimes folks make it, they end up leaving a lot of people behind. So recently she was photographed at a Dallas Cowboys game, which is gross enough as is. And uh, to not only be like not boycotting the NFL, but to then be going to Dallas Cowboys game. Anyway, she ended up sitting next to George W. Bush and then her photo was taken. And then she like tried to defend herself being like, Oh, it's okay to be friends with people who have different views. And everyone's like, he's a fucking war criminal. That's not just, like, you know, enjoying different types of food or having different types of, you know, favorite colors or different personality traits. It's like, no, this person's uh, actions are responsible for the deaths of millions of people and creating policy that has harmed who knows how many folks. So uh, maybe not be friends with, with him. Maybe that's, is that asking too much? Apparently it is. And that's how that everything gets normalized in this country. When you want to know how we end up with a fuckface like 45 in office, just look at the previous fuckfaces in office. Look at the previous war criminals, Democrats and Republicans alike, who have caused a lot of harm to people. And as long as they get away with their crimes, then people are going to continue committing these crimes and continue getting people into these horrible wars, which, of course, poor folks end up paying for more than anyone else. Oh, wow. I talked myself into a depression again. Oof. 
All right, next up, I'm not gonna read that headline because yikes. Okay, <laughs> we'll see how that one goes. Um, along with all this Ellen and, and W nonsense, there's an article that was shared once more and it came out in March of this year from splinternews.com written by Hamilton Nolan. Perhaps I've read it before on the show and perhaps I'll be reading it again or maybe it's the first time. Excuse me. Of course successful people want everyone to be nice by Hamilton Nolan, March 5th, 2019. Why do wealthy celebrities always decry haters above all other evils? Why do successful people at the top of their fields counsel those less prestigious than them to value professional comedy and civility above all? For a very obvious reason. It is easy to feel love for humanity when your own life is grand. If you wake up in a soft bed and a nice home, have a good job and a healthy bank account, and enjoy the prestige, earned or unearned, accorded to those in high positions, you have little reasons to be mad. All of the things that people want, you have. You have physical, emotional, and economic security. You have the adulation of peers and admirers. You have the opportunity to fully realize your dreams. Life is good. It is interesting to see how attitudes change for the small minority of humans able to attain these high-status lifestyles. Clearly, they are viewing life from a different perspective than most. Whereas the average person is forced to spend a good deal of time contemplating problems from mundane to existential that in some way affect their lives and how to solve them, the people at the top of the world are under no such obligation. Their vision, their vision need not be clouded by such concerns. Their needs are met. They are free to direct their mental energy towards achieving ever higher levels of self-realization. Though they may recognize the world's problems in an abstract way, they are not true obstacles for them. There is nothing easier than embracing love as a value when you have nothing left to hate. There is nothing easier than embracing freedom when nothing is holding you back. To say, we should all be kind to one another and get along when you are sitting at the very top of the pyramid is not an embrace of magnanimity. Excuse me, magnanimity. It is an embrace of self-interest. Once you have what you need... Once you have what everyone else wants, declaring the cutthroat race for achievement over in favor of universal love will conveniently ensure that your gains remain locked in. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of fame, let's stop all the haters. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of wealth, let's stop all the jealousy. Now that I'm enjoying the benefits of high career status, let's stop being critical of those at the top. Let's all get along, everyone equally, from me at the very top to you at the very bottom. This is the root of the tedious cries for civility that periodically rack our body politic. Of course, those who have won in the current order of things value civility above all. Civility means nothing changes. Civility means anger is tamped down. To the extent that the incredible lives of society's winners are driven by structural injustices, racism, inequality, luck, being born in the right place at the right time to win the lottery of life, Civility will cool the tempers of those who are on the wrong side of the same metrics. In a just world, the most successful people would be the most outraged at injustice. Oh, wow. That would be like me or something. <laughs> because they would be able to see most clearly the absurd gap between their own lives and the lives of millions of others who have had the same intrinsic value as humans, but who were not so lucky. <sighs> 
but such a world would require that people who achieve the greatest luxuries act against their own self-interest in recognition that life is not fair. That unfortunately is not how the human mind tends to work. It is more common that our own lives change, our perspectives change, and it becomes increasingly harder to imagine the perspective of others whose experiences grow farther and farther away until they might as well be inexplicable dreams. There is nothing like the sweet taste of the good life to convince us that everyone deserves the good life as long as it does not require us to sacrifice what we already have. This dynamic explains, for example, the fascination of very rich people with charter schools as a cause rather than with redistribution of wealth. To promote education is to promote the fantasy that all those poor people can one day get the same things that you have. This allows you to maintain your own status while offering the dream of pulling everyone else up to you. The alternative would be for you to give up some of what you have in order to help others. Unfortunately, that would require a meaningful sacrifice from you, so the idea is socialist, outrageous class war. The same dynamic is behind the fetishization of professional status, rather than actual merit, by those who have already achieved a high professional status. They have an inherent interest in a system in which their coveted positions are handed down to those who pay them the most deference. If I did it, anyone can, is the greatest lie told by those who have secured a level of success that will, by definition, only ever be available to a tiny, fortunate minority. My life is good, yours is bad. Don't think about why, just smile. Can't we all just get along? Me from the penthouse and you from the gutter? Wow. Whew. So again, if you'd like to reread that, if you'd like to share it with folks, um, you can check it out at splinternews.com. Again, it was written by Hamilton Nolan. Of course, successful people want everyone to be nice. Okay. How about some Joan Jet? Sounds like a plan.
Welcome back to the weekly review with Roman. Yay. It is again, currently Tuesday, October 8th. This will be played on October 11th. Wow. I am so tired and I've got more news stories for you all. So that's great. Oh man. Okay. (laughs) Positive news here and i guess the positive news is news excuse me <laughs> interesting freudian slip there positive news is when folks speak up and rise up in ways to stop evil people from doing their evil things so that is one story we have here the uh acting Se- secretary of homeland security was shouted off the stage at an immigration event at georgetown university's law school on monday and that person's name is kevin mclean mclean and there's an article in the Huffington Post. It's also posted all over Twitter. And also Never Again Action has been sharing a lot of info as well. And this was written by Nick Visser. Let's get to the audio, first of all. And then we'll get to the story. And they're playing uh, an ad. And that's... Nope. That's not what we're here for. So going to refresh the page. And now let's. Before we go, Acting we go. Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan had a tough start to his day. Protesters Aww. shouted him down and at an immigration policy forum at Georgetown University earlier today. Listen to that. So many times they shouted him down that Acting Security Secretary eventually walked out. When children are under attack, what do we do? Stand behind. 
as a career law enforcement professional, I've dedicated my career uh, to protecting the right to free speech and all the values we hold dear in America uh, from, from all threats. So, <laughs> but also given that this is primarily an audience of immigration lawyers, advocates, and law students, uh, to also talk about some of the fundamental issues we face with the current legal framework and its ability to address large-scale immigration flows. Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. McLean's frustration bubbled to the surface last week when he went on the record with the Washington Post. He said he is in an uncomfortable position Aww. because he does not have control over the tone and message of the administration's immigration policy. It was an extremely rare example of a cabinet-level official complaining about how politicized his department has become. In that Washington Post story, the White House praised McAleenan's job performance, Ugh. but they did not say why it has not nominated him for secretary. Ugh. And, and its ability to... Um, also, just like politicize. Okay, I'm going to read the article because what a, what a fucking tool. Okay. So a group of protesters interrupted McLean about for about eight minutes at Georgetown's annual immigration law and policy conference, leaving the official visibly frustrated as he tried to read a speech about the Trump administration's hardline policies on the southern border with Mexico. And of course, a reminder that borders are imaginary. And if you were frustrated trying to read a speech being interrupted, imagine how people feel having their family torn apart from them. And... <sighs> being assaulted being tortured activists bearing a sign reading stand with immigrants shouted hate is not normal and why are you listening to this crook as others read off the names of migrant children who have died in customs and border protection custody they also have a link from c-span after the third interruption, McAllenan thanked the event's organizer and left the stage. Department of Homeland Security lambasted the activist in a statement Monday saying attendees, they can go fuck themselves. That's um, my statement towards the Department of Homeland Security who are continuing to do this evil and harm people. And... Credo Action, the group that organized the protest, rejected any criticism of its actions. However, saying the institutions that feature Trump administration officials could expect to hear from us. No Trump henchman should be given a platform to spread hatred or defend the racist, xenophobic policies put into place by Donald Trump and Stephen Miller. Uh, Nicole Regalado, Credo's campaign director, said in a statement. Institutions that elevate the architects and enforcers of Trump's hate and normalize that cruelty can expect to hear from us. <sighs> Moving along in the article, just going to share. The White House has also said last month it planned to slash the U.S. refugee resettlement program by nearly half. Uh, and... A little bit more information there. So big thank you to the activists for showing up and shutting that down. Speaking of activists sh uh, showing up and shutting shit down, Harvard College Business Group cancels sponsorship with ICE contractor Palantir after backlash. This is from the Harvard Crimson. I very rarely read pieces from the Harvard Crimson. However, here we go. This was posted 18 hours ago by Shira S. Aviona and Delano R. Franklin, Crimson staff writers. 
The Harvard undergraduate BGLTQ Business Society canceled a sponsorship with software firm Palantir Technologies last week after facing student backlash over the company's contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Hubs publicized a sponsorship with Palantir, which included an ethical decision-making exercise slated for October 10th over their email list October 3rd. The next day, the organization announced they had canceled the event. Palantir has faced criticism from both immigration advocacy groups and its own employees for its work with ICE in recent months. The firm supplies ICE with an intelligence gathering system that critics allege enables agents to deport increased numbers of undocumented immigrants. Hours after its initial email, Hub sent a follow-up message stating that several students had voiced concerns. At first, the organization announced it would donate any funds gained through the partnership to an immigration-related charity. That evening and the next day, students criticized Hubs over the, the Queer Students and Allies organization email list. The Hubs board then responded over the QSA list, saying they had changed their minds and decided to cancel the partnership entirely. When a member brought up Palantir's relationship with ICE, we had initially thought we could allow them to come to campus and then donate the proceeds to an undocumented charity. But we recognize now that bringing Palantir to campus is harmful no matter where proceeds go, and that it is unfair to students and antithetical to the diverse communities at Harvard, they wrote over the email list. It was a mistake from the beginning, and honestly board was deeply divided about whether to proceed with this sponsorship altogether even as of last night they added hubs's board wrote in an email statement to the crimson that they regret the partnership with palantir we actually canceled the event and hubs will no longer be hosting it or working with palantir as a sponsor until their work with ice changes we sincerely apologize to anyone who was hurt by the prospect of this event and we hope our actions remedied the situation the statement reads and you can go on and read a little bit more so, uh, one more quote here. Uh, QSA is proud to stand with undocumented immigrants, Kim wrote. And that's the QSA co-chair, Angela E. Kim, from class of 2021. We appreciate that Hubs listened to community feedback and decided not to partner with Palantir for this event. In light of this, we encourage students and organizations to be actively aware of the companies they choose to work with and support college students across the country have taken issue with Palantir's undergraduate outreach efforts in recent months. Palantir tried to host a similar ethics tabletop exercise at Duke last month, where it was met with student protests. A petition calling on students to refuse jobs, job offers from Palantir has garnered more than 2,000 signatures from students attending schools, including Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. Whew. So again, this article is found at the thecrimson.com. And it came out 18 hours ago, which would be early on the 8th or late on October 7th. Okay, we're going to keep pushing along. Oh, my goodness. 700-plus arrested as Extinction Rebellion protests demand climate action. There's also been protests happening around the world, and I mentioned that a little bit last Friday. And uh, there hasn't been as much news coverage of it, but I wanted to share that now, at least in case we don't get to it this week. Uh, More than 700 activists from Sydney to New York City have been arrested in coordinated climate protests across the globe as activists with Extinction Rebellion shut down streets and occupied public landmarks to demand action on the climate crisis. Nearly 300 were arrested in London after taking over 11 sites in the Westminster area. In New York City, nearly 90 activists were arrested after staging a die-in on Wall Street, pouring fake blood on the iconic bull statue outside the New York Stock Exchange. Dozens were also arrested in Amsterdam, Vienna, and Madrid. In Brisbane, Australia, an activist hung from a 
Story Bridge in a hammock for six hours. Activists also took to the streets in Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. And we'll have more on Extinction Rebellion's ongoing protests after headlines. That's the that's from Democracy Now. And so you can check that out, democracynow.org, um, from October 8th. There's also lots lots more happening we're gonna go back to playing some music and we'll be back uh, after this
I'm thinking like if I was the And welcome back to the weekly review. I was gonna do a try to do a smooth transition there as the last song on the album, going into clip from Democracy Now. I'm getting a bit tired. I think I already am tired. But I did want to share this uh, about the strike that's still going on um, from UAW at Democracy Democracy Now. So let's see here. Are we right? I saw the Saw movie. And uh, let's see if we can play it. Then with Juan Gonzalez. About 48,000 workers at General Motors have entered their fourth week on strike. It's the longest national walkout at GM by the United Auto Workers in nearly 50 years. Workers are seeking higher pay, protection of their health care benefits, greater job security, and a commitment from GM to build more cars and parts in the United States. This is Steve Gorowski, a striking GM worker in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We've got a company that had $35 billion in profits in the last few years. We've got temporaries that have been here over seven years and are still temporaries, and they're asking for more temporaries. They're moving our plants out of country. They're taking them to Mexico and to China. And now they're asking for concessions on our uh, health care. I don't know about you, but I, that's the reason I took this job. I used to have my own drywall company. I took it for the benefits. On Sunday, UAW officials announced they'd rejected the company's latest offer saying negotiations had, quote, taken a turn for the worse. In a letter to union members, UAW Vice President Terry Didis wrote, quote, The company's response did nothing to advance a whole host of issues that are important to you and your families. It did nothing to provide job security during the term of the agreement. We're joined now by Steve Frisk, striking GM worker, former president of UAW Local 744. He's currently a union steward, joining us from a studio in Minneapolis. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Steve Frisk. Talk about the demands of the union. I mean, this is historic. It is the longest strike in nearly, what, half a century against GM. That is correct. Uh, just, just to clarify that I'm from local 722, um, but that's okay, no problem. Um, our, our biggest issue is obviously, uh, you, you heard the gentleman there from Bowling Green touch on some of it. Um, moving work out of the country, um, the temporary workers, uh, those are our two biggest issues right now, and also health care, which has become an issue since we went out on strike. Um, 10 years, 11 years ago, this uh, General Motors was going out of business. And they were saved by, by two in, uh, groups of people, their employees, and uh, even more so the taxpayer of this country. Um, if it wasn't for them, they would have been gone. Um, we reopened our contract voluntarily and uh, gave up a lot of stuff, cost of living increases. We took over retirees' uh, health care and benefits. Uh, that was an obligation of General Motors, and the UAW took that over to uh, alleviate and hopefully bring them back from the brink of bankruptcy. Um, so be, we move forward 10 years, and they've made record profits for the last three years of uh, just over $35 million. Um, and they have never given any of those things back to us that we voluntarily gave up. Not only that, but they want to take more away now. 
Um, they're moving the work, like I said, out of the country, which should really irritate the taxpayer of this country who bailed them out with the idea that we're going to keep work here in the United States and have people work here and become productive members of society, and now we're moving it out of the country. Uh, obviously, the, the, earlier the gentleman said uh, from Bowling Green, Mexico and China, those are the two biggest ones. In fact, China has more uh, General Motors employees now than does the United States. Um, this is our, our biggest issue, and, and, and then the real top issue is temporary employees and how they use them, uh, and uh, there's no path for them to come to full-time employment. Um, some of these assembly plants have had temporary employees on their, on their roles, like that gentleman said, for almost seven years. Um, they make just over half of what uh, legacy employees of, of UAWGM make. Um, they have very few benefits. No vacation time off unless it's pre-approved. They have three unpaid vacation days a year, and they have to be pre-approved. So life happens, children get sick, weather, flat tires. Uh, these things happen in life, and, and these people live on pins and needles every day just hoping something doesn't go wrong. Because if they, they can be dismissed for any two minor shop rule violations, they can be dismissed, which well, means being late or anything else. So it, it, it's, it's not right when this country's making record profits to treat their employees who bailed them out and saved them the way they're treating their employees today. Uh, Steve Frisk, uh, over the weekend, there were some indications that there was progress in the talks, at least on issues like wages, uh, but that uh, apparently one of the big sticking points has been this issue of whether GM will bring back some jobs from Mexico to the U.S. Could you talk a little more about uh, the impact of the GM production in Mexico? Because we often hear President Trump talking about how Mexico and China are stealing our jobs, but it's really the multinational U.S. companies companies that are making decisions to go into places like China uh, and Mexico uh, for greater profits. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's cheaper labor. I mean, that's, 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 that's the bottom line here. Uh, an auto worker in Mexico makes just under $3 an hour, um, and they're not unionized. Uh, they're not allowed to, basically, by its government control unions, and it's, uh, they really don't have a say in anything. Um, the biggest issue is, you know, I've had people say to me why, you know, well, they're, they're working for a lot cheaper, and I, my argument always is, are the vehicles any cheaper that are coming from Mexico? They're not. It's just the profits are going up to the top. Uh, they're not working with their employees, uh, obviously. If you look at Ford, Ford has an actually a, a pretty good relationship with the UAW. Um, in fact, the CEO came out a few years ago and said if it wasn't for the UAW, Ford would have been bankrupt. They sacrificed and saved us in our darkest hour. Uh, we did the same for General Motors, but obviously uh, they don't seem to understand that or they just don't seem to think that that's uh, they have to work with their their employees anymore, and, and, and it's very upsetting. Um, these jobs were saved to keep them in this country, and now we're moving them out. Uh, the last uh, study that was done, uh, Chrysler has a 92 percent utilization in this country of their facilities. Um, Ford had 82, and General Motors was right about 70, and I've heard that's actually gone down even more now in this last year. Um, so you look at the plants that are closing in Lordstown, Ohio, Detroit, Hamtramck. We have a couple transmission plants, uh, one in Baltimore and a few other in, uh, in Michigan. And these people are out of work. Or they have to, if they have enough seniority, they have to transfer. Um, 
And that's, people don't realize what it does to families. Um, I'm one of those people that worked in an assembly plant. I worked at Janesville Assembly in Janesville, Wisconsin, and that plant closed down at the end of 2008. Um, I had to move to where I am now, Hudson, Hudson, which I was lucky because I'm not too far from home, uh, a little over four hours, but I had to leave my wife and kids down there for almost six years because we couldn't sell our house because the whole economy in that area just, just went under. Um, it causes a lot of damage to families, a lot of divorces, uh, fathers and mothers not seeing their kids. Um, and they don't seem to understand that or they don't really seem to care. Um, it, like you said on Saturday, it sounded like we were going to uh, have a tentative agreement. It, it sounded really good and then it went south overnight. Um, so. We're waiting, I guess GM came out with a secret proposal last night to the UAW. Uh, we do not know what the contents of that is yet. Um, we're gonna wait and see what our leadership says and uh, hopefully we're making progress forward again instead of taking two steps back like we did this weekend, so. Let me ask you, in terms of the uh, of the, uh, the leverage that the United Auto Workers have, given the corporate America's uh, 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 move to go to just-in-time production, uh, when do you figure will be the time when General Motors will be forced to shut down its entire uh, chain of operations as a result of the fact that it can't get these cars uh, produced by you here in the United States? Well, it, we're already seeing some uh, some fallout down. Uh, they closed the Silo Mexico uh, plant, which makes a Silverado and uh, the Sierra. So that has been closed because of the lack of parts. And now I heard uh, their other major uh, facility down there has uh, had some shutdowns too. So it's starting to have a trickle down effect. I, I guess it's coming to a point where GM's got to make a decision on, is it worth keep losing the money that we're losing on a daily basis? Are we going to come out ahead or behind on this? Um, I, I, I really don't believe that they, I think they misunderstood our resolve when we went out. I think they thought we could break us within the first two, two to three weeks. Um, what, what this has really done is, is what I've seen in my, my local facility is it's actually strengthened the resolve. People are mad. People are mad and they're willing to stay out as long as it takes because, uh, you know, we believe in what we're doing. We believe that in this country, the wealth keeps flowing up to the 1% and keeps going less and less to the 99 below. And we're gonna have two uh, classes of, of people in this country pretty soon, the extremely wealthy and, and the poor. And uh, we decided that we had to draw a line in the sand and say enough's enough. Um, the silver lining in this situation is the support that we have received from our brothers and sisters of other unions, uh, Teamsters, SEIU, uh, uh, the teachers, uh, the, the bakers union, I'm, I'm talking about everybody, the steel workers. Um, they have come out in mass, not just to our facility, but to every facility in this country and helped out. They've walked the picket line with us, they brought food, uh, they brought gift cards for some of our temporary employees that are struggling a little more and uh, it's just been the outpouring of solidarity has has really been an eye-opener and it's a, a welcome a welcome thing because uh, unions have been struggling for many years in this country and it's nice to see that it's making a comeback and people are, are tired of the status quo well Steve Friskwin thank you so much for being with us striking GM worker former president of UAW local 722 currently a union steward 
When we come back, we'll go to Chicago to speak with the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, which has voted to go on strike next week. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Leaked the Review Tuesday edition. Oh, goodness. I'm going to share a few news headlines and then get back into some more pre-recorded interviews. This is from Frontline. 
and PBS. Go to pbs.org. Uh, Trump administration shifting to privatize migrant child detention. And this came out on October 3rd, 2019 by Garance Burke from the AP and Martha Mendoza, also from the AP. And the story is part of an ongoing joint investigation between the Associated Press and Frontline on the treatment of migrant children, which includes an upcoming film. And please do check out this article. And uh, there's a bit of a, a video here. best that the children are borrowed they're borrowed for for our purpose right so a lot of times when something is borrowed you take care of them better than you would something that is your own so we want the children to leave here and say that they had a great experience if you made it through all the way to the end of the AltaCast, hey we weren't here today yay i was super hungover yay my cooking job is often a drinking job. Well, imagine that. Uh, coming up at 2 o'clock, though, we're going to have a very special AltaCast on the Some Call Me Tim show. Yay! So we're going to be combining those shows together. And you're listening to Mutiny Radio. Coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020, that crazy year we're in, the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Can you believe it? It's coming here to you, San Francisco, and that's going to be great. Uh, 76 comics coming from all over the United States, including a bunch here in San Francisco. I know that it's Sketchfest and all that, and we're not a part of that, so there you go. But, but my festival's coming, and that's going to be amazing. You know what else is amazing? Law Tigers. Info here is here to let you know that the fifth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is March 1st through 7th, 2020, with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week. Get your tickets now on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comics from all over the U.S. coming for 66 programs in seven days, all here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission. Or if you can't be with us, listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st to 7th for these amazing events. Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Chromatic Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go Listen to live streaming radio Or download a podcast And you can listen on the go. 
San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm. Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm. Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm. District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. MutinyRadio.fm. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to MutinyRadio.fm, hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch What's happening? This is your boy, Rob Edwards. I'm here to tell you about the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's March 1st through the 7th, 2020, with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week long. Get your tickets on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comments from all over the U.S. Coming for 66 programs in seven days, all here at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission, or listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st through the 7th for these amazing events. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples 
paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at Subliminal SF dot myshopify.com that's subliminal sf dot myshopify.com and experience subliminal sf tired of paying too much for your internet contracts and hidden fees got you down Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains! 
Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden monthly fees. We're honest, local, and 100% net neutral. Residential internet for only $35 a month, business packages starting at $75 a month. Go to monkeybrains.net and sign up today. Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is Darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. El Rio began her life in 1978 as a leather Brazilian gay bar. We are an LGBTQ plus space who is welcoming to all good people. We actively invest in communities to promote social change. We actively invest in our local arts and music scene to give space for artists. We actively pursue underserved communities in the use of our space. We are an awesome supporter of the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, hosting an incredible offside show. Wednesday, March 4th, 9 to 11 p.m. with LGBTQ plus and allied comics. So come out to 3158 Mission Street at Cesar Chavez, San Francisco. It's open every day at 2 p.m. with an incredible back patio. El Rio is your dive. It's your boy Sifo here, here to let you know that the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is March 1st through 7th, 2020 with special podcasts and comedy shows 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. all week. Get your tickets now on Eventbrite. Just search Mutiny Radio and get ready for 76 comics from all over the U.S. coming for 66 programs in seven days all here at 2781 21st Street in the heart of the mission. Or if you can't be with us, listen live or podcast from anywhere in the world at www.mutinyradio.fm. Join us March 1st to 7th for these amazing events. What kind of a future? Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Here's Law Firm LLP, 180 Criminal Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 15834. 
Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm MutinyRadio.fm Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco MutinyRadio.fm Hit the donate button Stream them live Download a podcast Have some fun San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio Timmy Francisco Mutiny Radio I like this song San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco It's not some call me Tim. Ah! <laughs> All right, usually. <laughs> 